You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah youths. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. We're talking the Pac-12 Championship game where Utah goes down to the Huskies. And we look forward to as Utah gets invited to the Holiday Bowl in San Diego. I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. And Scott. How we doing? Well, we've been better. 10 to 3. Ouch. Ouch. Especially off a of pick six. That, that game was brutal. That was what a way to lose. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what to say. That just took the air out of the room. I was watching it when that happened. I was like, I was just thinking. I was watching it going. That had to have hit the ground before he picked it up. And I was <laughs> praying that it. Hit the and ground. then they do the replay, and I was like, Oh no! Everybody, just... everybody around me, we were just like, It hit the ground, right? It's, it had to have hit the ground. It had to have hit the ground. You see the replay. And Ute fans were were deflated. It was awful. So, Scott, I want to ask you this because you were at the game. Did the team look deflated after that? I don't know. I didn't notice anything specific. Um, I, I Obviously, I'm sure it was deflating, knowing that at that point you really hadn't been able to move the ball. Um, the defense continued to keep their momentum and play with confidence. The defense was lights out. I mean, that was one of the most impressive defensive performances I I can remember watching mm-hmm. this Utah team, and they've had they've had a lot of great performances over the years. To to literally shut down a four year starter and a running back who's headed to the NFL. Yeah, he's the only running back who's had four years of a thousand yards rushing in the Pac twelve, and to shut them down, their offense did not score. Only a, three points from special teams. Um, just really phenomenal. Obviously, you know, Washington had the ball a lot, 38 minutes worth, um, which you could see as the game wore on, the defense was getting gassed. They, uh, but they continued to fight. And I mean, how impressive that was over and over again. And, uh, and a, a couple times in that fourth quarter or in that second half in general, they were put on short fields. Mm-hmm in tough situations due to turnovers, and they they got the ball back for the offense. And that's what was so frustrating. You, you That defense gave up three points, and you lost. <laughs> that, that Seems like we've said this, this before. <laughs> that hurts, man. That hurts. As well as Utah's defense played, I mean, we do have to give a lot of credit to Washington. Oh, for uh, sure. They limited Utah's offense to 188 yards, uh, three turnovers, um, three interceptions uh, for Washington State. So it's not Utah didn't lose to a bad team. I mean, I think that's one thing that we can, as as Utah fans, kind of put our hats on that we went toe to toe with the best team in the conference. the the pro The problem lies two games against. Obviously, the fir- the game three of the of the season, the offense wasn't clicking. But in two games, you scored ten points against that Washington defense. So as much as we say as we say we turned a corner offensively, we turned a corner for a period of time, but it didn't sustain. No, and, and I think there's there's a couple of things you can talk about in relation to that. Is obviously 
Huntley and Moss being out is a huge, and then losing Covey coming out of halftime is a huge part of why the offense sputtered in this game against a a really good defense. I mean, you have inexperience at the quarterback. I mean, he's he started, that was his fourth game as a starter, and it showed when the pressure got, when the pressure mounted. And and I agree with that, but here's here's a counter. If Brian Thompson catches that ball, if COC Mariner catches that ball, if Solomon Enos catches that first down, just those three drops, it's a completely different game. Oh yeah. I mean, so if 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 the wide receiver receiving core steps up and shows up at that game, sure we're not we weren't putting thirty on the board. But we we score enough points to win that game. Well, and I think before that interception of uh, the pick six, you could see that offense starting to kind of get that rhythm, starting to move that ball. And to your point, Scott, the wide receiver drops. That's what doomed the offense at the beginning of the season. They got better towards the middle of the season and made their great run to win the South. And then that kind of creeped up again against Washington in this championship game. Yeah, I mean, Utah in that game had three good offensive drives the one right before half which we bungled to get out of field goal range with taking that la- that late sack well even a, even that that play itself was awful but the clock management to get to that point was, was terrible horrific. why go in the locker room with two timeouts well my only re- my only thought and i was sitting there at halftime thinking like why was that our approach cuz we did not look aggressive we, it was a very conservative drive my only thinking is Witt did not want to give them the ball with time left on the clock. I think he would have rather have gone in three nothing, going losing three nothing, than giving them the ball back and seeing if they can do something right before half. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. But- or, or, or the other side, somewhat incompetence. There was more to just. You know, that one drive before halftime, what did you guys think about this whole offensive game plan and the way they used Jason Shelley and Shine? Was there a game plan? Yeah, if if there was, I think it changed. Um, and Armand Shine was asked that very question afterwards, and he said, I, I'm not sure we stuck to our game plan. I mean, early on, it looked like we were trying to attack the edges. We were We were spreading the ball, sweeps. A lot of screen plays, a lot of action along the line of scrimmage. We were not throwing the ball down the field or really being all that aggressive. And then as that did not work as the first half went on, that last drive of the first half, we started attacking the middle of the field with the tight ends. And even even and that, that went away too. Even Jalen Dixon. And, and and we moved the ball to get us into field goal range before he took that late sack. But then you never saw us really utilize the middle of the field. The again. tight ends never saw a pass attempt in the second half. It was it was and and shine. I mean, the read option was he was reading it wrong most of the time. Well, he was. It was it was abysmal. They needed to scrap that um, early on because Shelley was not making good reads, and even if he did, they weren't getting anything out of it whether he kept it or he handed the ball off. It wasn't until we kind of went to more of a power run game, we started getting a little bit of yardage, but it still wasn't anything all that impressive that was leading to continual first downs or anything. So it, uh, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what the game plan was or what Troy was really trying to attack, 
Um, I think he probably had a number of ideas and, and jumped around a little bit to see what would work. And unfortunately, as the game went on, just nothing seemed to work. And that you have to give credit, to, as we've already talked about a little bit, you have to give credit to Washington's defense. They're they're really good. Yeah, they are. And that's probably, you're probably right. They probably did have a number of approaches that they were trying to see if anything would work against them. And when they finally got some things to work, then they shot themselves in the foot with dropped passes. Too many things added up to blow it. And I think in, in those games, in a championship game going against you know a top team like Washington, you can't have those mistakes. No. The mistakes that, that Utah made were the ones you just can't. Well, and the running game not being all that successful, a lot of that's due to how good Washington is up front and how well and and they were they were there to stop the run. They were they were daring Shelley to beat them through the air. Well, which is a smart game plan because why would you why would you not dare a freshman quarterback to beat you? Exactly. No, it was a, it was a brilliant game plan and and it worked. But to me the frustration is not so much we couldn't run they took it away, so kudos to them. But they didn't take away the passing game. We took the passing game away from ourselves because nobody would make a play. Mm-hmm. And I just look at this wide receiving core and how they started the season and kind of how they finished the season. It's, it's disappointing. I don't know how else you spin it. I mean, as you on Saturdays, you watch these other conference championship games, you looked at the catches that these wide receivers were doing and all i could think of we're not on that same level no i was thinking the same thing as i was watching the ohio state northwestern game not from a number of aspects i was watching how open ohio state's receivers were at every every pass attempt their receivers were wide open and ma- and making great catches and watch and comparing that to what we watched most of the season when I got, when our guys are making catches, they're not wide open. No, and I think that's part of the problem. You're you're then having to make a lot of contested catches, which obviously brings the difficulty level up mm-hmm. quite a bit. You know, some of those. I mean, Brian Thompson has not seen a lot of action this year. A deep ball over his shoulder, not the easiest catch, but it was right in his hands. He had you got to pull that in. Coc Mariners, sorry. I don't know how you defend it. It's 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 unfortunate and stuff. Mistakes happen. Fluky things happen. It's just unfortunate. It is. That, I mean, that, I mean that, that pass goes for a first down. Oh, and yeah, we that had at that, that moment alive. we had all the momentum in the world. It's a tie ball game. We just kicked the field goal. Here we are, marching down to take the lead. And boom, it's a fourteen point potentially a fourteen point swing that they can never recover from. You know, and then not to mention Siosi's, uh, you know, granted he was definitely, that was a P.I. It happened It happened right in front of me. Guy made early contact. Um, I get it in that type of situation. Last Potentially last play of the game, it's got to be pretty blatant for an official to throw a flag. It was pretty blatant. It, uh, it looked pretty blatant to me. It was blatant enough. It, Whittingham's pretty cool most of the time on the sidelines, but... That was the first time I've ever seen him that fired up, and it had to have been blatant to get him that upset. Well, literally. So, I was my seats were on about the 16, 17 yard line. Literally happened right in front of me. 
as the ball was approaching, you could you saw a Mariner fly forward before the ball got there. I mean, everybody around us, it was clear as day. I, I didn't think there was not going to be a flag mm-hmm. because it was that blatant. And then you saw, obviously, yeah, Kyle's reaction and uh, really unbelievable how you don't get uh, at least uh, another, probably with the time left on the clock, you got two plays from um, 15, 20 yards out. Granted, we still may we still may lose. But, there's no uh, guarantee that we win if we get the another player no, or two. You but, still gotta you still gotta get in the end zone. It gives those guys a chance, and it, and that chance was taken away because the officials blew it. Well, and I think it goes back to even a conversation we had with Jeremiah Jensen a few weeks ago on the on the podcast is the whole the integrity of the conference, and especially when it comes to the officiating. We've seen this, and I don't. We don't need to go down a rabbit hole here, but we've kind of seen this from the league, and with the bad reputation as it is with the officials, I think you you have to throw that flag to to save face. Yeah, I mean, you you would think, right? But I mean, you look at all the games we've had, and not to go conspiracy theory here, but I mean, just just look at all the games we've had against Washington in the last three or four years. It's a tie ball game in Salt Lake City. What three years ago? With two minutes left on the clock, three in one punt return, three blocks in the back that were blatant. Guess what? Washington went on to win because of that. You look at uh, what happened this year, two very questionable targeting calls that removed two key players from our defense out of that game. And then and you look at that, and there really isn't calls benefiting Utah in any of those games. So Just it's grateful for what you get. <laughs> Apparently that uh, Chris Hill was put in his place, and uh, we we need to be we need to be happy with what we have. But uh, you know, obviously, you even with that, we still had our opportunities. And oh yeah, and and I know that one game did not, or that one call did not cost the game for Utah. No, no, no many did, mistakes that we we've, we've talked about. My whole point was as, as the league that has a lot of. Oh, the league's a mess. A lot let's, of shade right now. Let's, they let's, need to. Let's they no, need to call we it. We don't need to sugarcoat anything. The league is an absolute laughing stock. There is no respect. Gardner Minshew was not a even a Heisman finalist. Washington State with two losses and two very one very questionable loss out of those two. It did not make a New Year's six game over three teams that had three losses. There is zero respect for the Pac-12 right now from the college football committee to bull reps to voters to national media. There is our brand is garbage at the moment. And I really I don't know hope, how you argue that. I really hope that Ruth Watkins tweet yesterday uh, I hope she's serious and and investigates and looks into this and well, Chris, gathers other presidents and does. Chris Hill's investigating. I mean, he's not even a part of the Pac-12 anymore, and that's probably why he's got a little bit. He doesn't have to answer to Larry anymore, so he's got some more uh, ability to go out and and press this a little bit. And you saw Washington State's president commented on Twitter yesterday that uh, um, they're aware and uh, they're they're having conversations and. And you look at uh, that four-part series that uh, the Oregonian did that outlined all of the mistakes and all of all of the things that the Pac-12 has done in these last several years to incredibly expensive rent, 
um, payroll, lavish lifestyle, lavish All the private travel for Larry Scott. That Larry's enjoying. I mean, you've got the you've got the president of the Pac-12 Network who lives in L.A. but works up in uh, San Francisco. Who's paying those commuting bills? You know the Pac-12 is, and uh, so there's there's so many there's so many just moving parts here. To and then you throw in the officiating. You, I mean, the Woody Dixon. Woody Dixon. I mean, the the official that was fired in 2014 by the Pac-12, uh, Corrientes, who's actually an NFL official currently. Um, the things that he had to say about Woody Dixon, about Larry Scott in general. There's just not a lot of good light being shed on the Pac-12 right now and how it's being run. And and Larry continues to come out with these protected answers. He doesn't even really answer the questions that are asked of him. Mm-hmm. He he's, just he's a spin doctor. Well, and I, Scott, you brought this up right when the whole Woody Dixon thing broke about how quickly that left the media's attention and how that oh, big yeah. fire. The Larry Scott and the league were able just to kind of put that fire out very quickly without really doing anything. The only thing you hear about it now is just individual fans from various schools talking about it on Twitter when their team gets hosed on a call. And I think that's why this this whole series by the Oregonian was very important. Oh, because it it, 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 it pulled it took, back so much. Well, and it took it from just a regional issue for for us in the West Coast talking about it to now. People all the way, all over the country are talking about it. And and that has fired up fans of the Pac-12. I mean, I'm sorry, this weekend Twitter was a hot mess for Larry Scott. And how bad he got booed by both Washington and Utah fans. That was hilarious. At the, at the championship ceremony. You know, he, he can keep saying that uh, the Pac-12 presidents are, are pleased with him. The, but I think things are changing really quick. The CEO quick. group, the CEO as group. he likes to put it. I'll tell you what. And how on earth, if you are a commissioner of a conference and you have very little interaction with the athletic directors in your university, at all of your universities, that's ridiculous. It's because he doesn't want to answer to them. He's going straight to the people who do not deal with sports. Or who do not care. Or who, yeah, who do not care. They Because ca- they're all academics. They're academic. And that's where they need to be. And he can tout, hey, look, look what we did in volleyball. Look what we did in track. Look what we did in men's water polo. Look what we did in all these sports nobody cares about outside of the acad- academia world. You know, and and he's just ignoring the ads and telling the Chris Hills of the world, "Be happy with what you got." I'll tell you what, it can't continue. It is ridiculous. There is no leadership. There is a double standard, and and there's a reason the Pac-12 is behind. You do not need to have your offices and your network in the most expensive city in the in the United States. Larry Scott is being paid 4.8 million dollars annually for uh, to do his job. Um and then you you compare that against uh, Greg Sankey, uh, the SEC commissioner who's making I believe like 1.9 million dollars. The next highest to uh, to Larry Scott is the Big 10 and Delaney's making 2.4 and then you compare the rent that these other other conferences are paying annually. 
versus the six point nine million we're paying. I mean, it's ridiculous that what's going on. It's just there's it's irresponsible when we're already so far behind these other conferences. If uh, if if an, a true investigation does take place, whether by school presidents or looks like uh, our one and only uh, Chris Hill is is fighting for an investigation himself to get going. It'll be interesting to see how this this unfolds and whether Larry Scott is our commissioner all that much longer. Chris Hill will become the Pac-12 commissioner. Hey, dude, I'd vote him in. That'd be awesome, but I think if that were the case, there'd be all the, so many fans from the other schools claiming Utah would get preferential treatment. <laughs> hey, who cares? You know what? We've been screwed so many times. <laughs> it's coming back our way. That's how karma works. We're due. Oh, I mean... That would be Washington's worst nightmare. <laughs> if all of these things prove out to be true, how could he? There's no way he could keep his job. There is no way. No, and and there's a groundswell of of just angry fans that's trickling up to school presidents through the AD offices that uh, um, these ads and presidents now have to answer to these fans and all these complaints. So they're they're going to be forced to investigate and do something about this. And the donors. And the donors, mm-hmm. yeah. People are not happy. And it's not it's just... It's just not Utah. It's, no, it's not it's, just a handful of schools. Mm-hmm. Across the board, nobody is pleased with, with where we stand in the pecking order, with the lack of respect and credibility that we have as a conference. You, you, can't, you can't continue down that road. I mean, you, you need to hire somebody who can completely rebrand and remake our image because he's, he's been that poor. Of a, of a commissioner. So I think, I think you're going to probably start seeing some things this off season heading into summer. Um, I would not be surprised uh, if heads start rolling. Bye bye, Larry. So we couldn't finish this episode without talking the defense in this game. Probably Scott, you, you said it probably the best defensive performance that we've seen out of a Utah team in, in years. Yeah, I mean they were. I mean they're phenomenal. I mean, just continually were up to the task of not letting any offensive points on the board, which really gave that poor offensive performance still a chance on the last possession of the game. So, I mean, you look across the board. Our D line played so well, and and to an extent, Washington did move the ball on us. They were definitely more successful than our offense was, um, but. It was nice uh, seeing a Washington team. We we talked with uh, the Dog Pod uh, podcast uh, prior to the game, and they mentioned how uh, their special teams were in an adulterated hot mess of garbage, and you could see it. They had no tr- they had no faith yeah, in their. Field they were goal on the kicker. twenty yard line, and they wouldn't even try for a field goal. No, so it was uh, to an extent that played in our favor. Them going for fourth, and we just continued to continue to stop them and get the ball back. Um, but really, hats off to the defensive coaching staff and to the players because it was an impressive performance. So looking at the defense performance, the thing that really stands out to me is holding Miles Gaskin to 71 yards for the game. Well, I mean, if you tell any of we're sitting around this table a week ago and, you, and someone says, so going in this game, you're going to hold Miles Gaskin to 71 yards and they're only going to score a field goal. You you think 
Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You're thinking roses all around. I'm thinking roses. I'm thinking the fourth quarter is stress-free. We're winning comfortably. I'm thinking they must have lost half of their guys during the game to injury. I mean, it was it was it was impressive. Miles Gaskin never got going. I mean, granted, those seventy-one yards, he did get some crucial yards in key moments, but but he did not go off at at all. I mean, Browning ends up with a QBR of forty-two. I mean, he was less than impressive. You can't say enough, man. They the defense just showed up. I mean, the secondary. I was really impressed with the secondary, even. And Blackman, he gave up that missed tackle that went for thirty uh, some odd yards up the sideline. But again, we we hold we held him, got him off the field, um, and just the secondary performed well. The D line was was amazing all night long, um, and Chase and, and Cody just continued to do what they've been doing all season long, and uh, we're, we're 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 phenomenal. And what what I was really impressed with is Washington. They tried about four trick plays, and not a single one worked. Which is so typical for Peterson. There's Even when he was back at Boise State, there was, at, there were, you could plan on at least two trick plays. Yeah, and, and a lot of those plays are backbreakers to their opponents. And, and to have none of them be successful, again, just hats off. It was an incredible performance, and it's just so unfortunate that it was wasted mm-hmm. by such a... Poor offensive showing by by uh, by the team that really couldn't take advantage of that because yeah, who would have thought when all is said and done that that would not have been enough to get you a victory with the Rose Bowl on the line? We were eight points away from playing in the Rose Bowl against Urban Meyer. That may haunt me forever. Ooh. Perfectly thrown drop pass off the knee away from <laughs> from the Rose Bowl. I'll, t- I'll tell you. I mean, I mean, Shelly couldn't have put that anywhere I'll better. You. you know, and I, I feel for I feel for Mariner because I'm sure he's beating himself up. Uh, you know, the last play of the game, and then that pick six. You know, he he knows he knows how how crucial that was, and I'm sure he's beating himself up. The last play of the game, you can't blame him. He 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 was interfered with and he didn't make the catch but that the one that turned into the the difference maker was i mean that's that, just a, that's that, just a that's routine, the difference that's maker routine that's, catch yeah you know and would have led to a first down potentially uh taking the lead in that third quarter but it is what it is and i mean obviously hope hope he's okay and i'm sure the team's rallying around him and picking him up but uh, I'm not sure we're going to see as many sauce tweets um, moving forward. All right. And we do have to give mad props to Matt Gay, a 53-yard field goal so Utah doesn't get shut out. He's <laughs> yeah, a big huge. weapon they're going to miss next season. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He is. And and uh, obviously, we were not kick, he, kicking at altitude, um, both pregame. And there was some wind down there um, that... In pregame, you could see that the kickers were struggling kicking their normal, um, their normal distances. Even Gay wasn't kicking it as far as as you you see, you see him at Rice Eccles Stadium, and uh, Washington's kicker, man, he could barely kick about forty yards. Um, so it there was definitely some win. He couldn't even get it over the line of scrimmage. <laughs> <laughs> but I will tell you. So yeah, going on to that, 
Man, when we blocked that kick, I just felt like we were going to come back. I, I felt like this is how this team has played all year. This is how things have gone. When it's looked bleak, we've been able to do it. We're going to... We're going to come down. We're going to score with hardly any time left on the clock. And Kyle's going to go for two for the win. I really thought it. I really thought that's how this game was going to end. And, man, it it was heading that way. But uh, our two-minute offense was less than impressive in both, uh, both, both closing the, the first and the second half. Yeah, and it makes you wonder – I mean, I know he's a freshman and he hasn't had a, probably hasn't had a lot of experience running a two minute offense. But in that type of in that type of environment, when the game's on the line or the half's on the line, you've got to have a quarterback who doesn't have to look over and find the guy that's calling the play. And well, you need you need to know what to call and just go. You waste twenty seconds looking for the call and then you run it. Yeah, you run it up the gut. I'm going. <laughs> what are we doing? There, there was no urgency. No, they were the, playing not to lose, rather than to win. It was, it was, yeah. And whether that's on Shelley, whether that's on the coaching staff, both, both. I don't. It, I mean, it definitely looked unorganized, and it was not impressive. But again, it is what it is. And and Shelley's a young quarterback, and he's going to grow from this. And I think he's going to be better. But you know, maybe this leads us into another conversation is we now know our bowl opponent, which bowl we'll be, we'll be playing in that may give Huntley time to get healthy and to be healthy enough to play. So who's our starter? Had Shelley won that game and got us in the Rose bowl. My thoughts were you go with the hot hand, but after what happened and if Huntley is truly healthy and there's no possible way for him to be for that to be re-injured well i shouldn't say no possible way to be re-injured but to cause more damage he's your starter yeah i think you only go with huntley if he's 100 percent. okay let's let's say he's 100 percent. i, st- I still go him with huntley yeah i think you have to and and i mean you look at it the byu game and then the pac-12 championship we were held scoreless in the first half in both those games even if Shelley leads us to a game time or a game winning drive on that last series, I'm not sure you even consider him to have a hot hand. I think Shelley is going to be one heck of a quarterback in time, but I think I think Tyler gives you more big playability, which is what this offense well, needs, especially in the run game. When every time Shelley decided to keep it in the run game, he got nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. Well, and, and he seemed pretty indecisive at times in when he was going to run. I believe that uh, the third interception that he threw to Simpkins, he was a targeting Simpkins, he had a chance to run for that first down, and he, he decided to just kind of rifle that in there. Again, you know, I think he was he was pressing a little bit. But, uh, yeah, he, 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 he hasn't been all that decisive when to run. And, uh, you know, I think maybe that comes with some experience. But... Uh, but I think this offense needs your, those big play abilities, and you're going to be without Covey due to due to injury. And, you know, you should probably have a healthy Nakua at that point. Um, hopefully, Green is is healthy and ready to go as well. Um, but I I think you need every every chance you 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 can bring to the table for those big plays. And at this point, I think Huntley's your guy for that. 
All right, so that will kind of do it uh, for our thoughts of the Pac-12 championship game. And even we dive down into our thoughts uh, of the league and the Pac-12 where it stands. Uh, Before we wrap this episode up, Utah's headed to the Holiday Bowl to play Northwestern. Really quickly, Scott, I said quickly, what are you guys' thoughts on Utah's selection to the Holiday Bowl? I'm I'm stoked for it. I'm going last, so uh, I can get any extra time. <laughs> we control, camera controls the the mic power there. I'm clo- I'm closer to it. <laughs> no, I'm just, like Cameron. I'm I'm stoked that uh, I mean. For a minute there, it looked like we weren't going to go to the Holiday Bowl, going to get skipped over. But I, if we can't go to the Rose Bowl, it's a good bowl to go to, and these these players deserve it. And uh, what, I mean, you can't think of a better place to spend New Year's Eve in sunny San Diego. That was over ten seconds, but um, no, I think it's huge. It's huge for the program because it's the best bowl that Utah's gone to since the Sugar Bowl. And great destination against a, against a good conference. Um, so, and I think it's good for the program to be in, in that spotlight. So it's, it's really going to come down. We got to show up. Ute fans have got to show up and, and there's got to be a lot of red down there. Cause I think this bowl and how it's attended is going to affect future bowl games for Utah and how we're selected moving forward. So big opportunity. All right, make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast because we will be doing a preview to the bowl game and hopefully get someone from Northwestern to come in and kind of give their perspective on the Wildcats. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. Drum, the letter N, Feather. Scott? You can find me at, uh, unfortunately, not in the Rose Bowl. I'm a little I'm a little sad. I'm a little sad about that. But uh, since we're not, we can all not be in the Rose Bowl together. You can find me at Uman underscore forever. As I said, make sure you subscribe to us because you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Anywhere you listen to a podcast, we are there. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Man Podcast. And we're always available at our home at utahmanpodcast.com. And go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be till I die. Well, good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. So awful. It's just they got out and rolled the windows down and <laughs> it's snowing outside and all my windows are down. <laughs> After the supermarket, could I take you guys to a complimentary shower? <laughs> well, good thing Scott's here because I have nothing to say, so I won't be stepping on your toes. I, well, I'm going to start embracing it, then. I'm just going to start ta- over, talking over you. But you already do. So you, ah! <laughs> you've already been embracing it ah! for four years. <laughs> just